Well, hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets of Quants. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast with my co-host, Maria Wickvilla and Caroline Diarty Edwards. Caroline, as always, is a co-founder of Fortuna Admissions and a former director of admissions at NCON. And Maria is the founder of Applicant Lab. We have a special guest and an interesting topic. We have Daniel Schmidt, who is a second-year Harvard MBA. He came to Harvard uh, via McKinsey, and he intends to return to McKinsey when he graduates later this year. But here's what's interesting about Daniel. He is dangling in front of young professionals the opportunity to be CEO for a year of his family's winery business in Austria. The idea here is that he's hoping to recruit uh, an executive who will learn how to become a CEO and get that opportunity at his winery. And he feels that uh, by offering this possibility to potential applicants, he can get a person of the caliber of a McKinsey type or someone who's destined for uh, an elite MBA. So the person could be even an undergraduate student right now or just out of undergrad. person could be on their way to business school uh, for a graduate degree or actually recently graduated. So let me introduce Daniel first and let me have him tell you directly why he's doing this. Daniel? Hey, thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be on here. Uh, yeah, and it's exactly right what you said, right? So um, a little bit of the context to why we're doing this is... We have a family winery. It's our family business. That's uh, really how we pay the bills. Right? And it's one of these um, businesses that we've always had uh, in our family. Right? So I actually spent last summer working on it and tried to trace back, well, when, you know, since when uh, is this in our family or since when, when did we start doing this? And was basically able to trace it back all the way to 1661. So many centuries ago, right? And that's when the records end. So probably it's arguably older uh, than that even. And uh, it's always been a very small uh, enterprise, so to say, like a one-man or two-man show, if you will, right? So my grandpa ran it, then my my father ran it, and uh, one of my brothers ran it for a short while. Uh, and the situation that we have now is that we have uh, no one in the family who can uh, run it at the moment, who can run all of the business operations. Uh, I do have uh, one of my brothers, Joseph, uh, he's really he's always been involved with making the wine, right? And he's uh, he has 25 years of experience of uh, winemaking, but he's not the type that wants to run all the aspects of a business, right? So to fill out the taxes and to all the businessy things uh, that are not winemaking itself. And so the question came up: Well, if no one wants to run that, how do we continue, right? And one option was: Well, maybe you know. Maybe can we even keep running the winery in the future or is there some way to maintain it? And so the idea popped up. I, I talked to a lot of my friends actually uh, about it and a lot of them were kind of interesting, I- interested, right? And said, hey, this is a nice challenge you have. Like, how do you sustain this winery? And I'd actually love to, you know, run a winery. And so this idea came up to recruit the CEO for a year, right? And to recruit someone with no winery experience, but with a lot of business skill sets and the drive. To, to take the winery really to the next level. And I know that this is not an easy job. In fact, you said for people who think that they're going to sit around all day sipping pinots, they better realize this is a very tough job. You're going to be driving tractors in the vineyard. You're going to be managing people. 
You're going to be dealing with the harvest. You're going to be dealing with uh, marketing issues and operation issues. In other words, you're going to deal with the entire enterprise at a level that any CEO would deal with, right? That is right. right? And if you think about it, uh, like in any small business, really, a lot of times if you would ask people, well, how much of the job of a small business owner or a small business CEO is, let's say, strategic, uh, kind of office office uh, task, and how much is really hands-on, you know, problem solving and, and just uh, doing and implementing a lot of the day-to-day things in the business. I think people would overestimate the strategic portion, right? So I, I think really... Um, uh, there's definitely a 10 or 20% of your time will be focused on these very strategic questions, but a lot of it will also be uh, just running the winery, right? And everything that, that that means. So making a wine with a lot of the support and with a lot of the expertise that we already have in the family. But in the end, I think um, the hands-on tasks of this program, they are making a wine, sitting on a tractor, right? Being out in the vineyards, the person who applies to the job should see that as a feature of the program, right? I think it's one of the benefits to have one year where you get to do all of these tasks, get your hands dirty, right? And not just sit in an office all day. So we're really looking for a person that is that is uh, striving for that. And it should be said that you're not merely going to throw someone in the deep end of the pool who doesn't know how to swim. You're actually offering what you call a program, as you mentioned just uh, briefly. Uh, talk about that program. There's going to be 100 days of mentorship where you will shadow, I guess, your brother and yourself. There'll be a lot of mentoring and coaching, meetings with other CEOs uh, who will help coach throughout the one-year period. But, but explain your thinking behind that. That is right, right? So what we thought is, well, given that we want to really attract someone who is from outside of the, the industry, right? someone who usually would never even think of making a career in, in the winery business. We, we really want someone that, you know, that has the ambition to later on be a CEO maybe of a major company and to go to some of the best uh, companies and some of the best MBA programs in the world. Right? And so the thinking was, well, how do we make this opportunity attractive uh, to someone like that. And so I think beyond just the responsibility and sort of the, the opportunity to implement your own ideas, one thing that we've created is a program around this CEO for a year, right? And one aspect is, as you mentioned, the first 100 days, where as in any big job that you would enter, uh, you have 100 days where you do all the tasks that are part of the business, right? Part of running it. Uh, a lot of shadowing, a lot of uh, learning the ropes, so to say. And that will be quite an intense period because not only are you learning a new job, so to say, that CEO job, but you're also new to an industry, right? So we think uh, the learning learning curve in that first 100 days will be tremendous. And then uh, at the end of the 100 days, you really uh, set your agenda, right? I think by then you will have a good feeling for what needs to be done uh, for the rest of the year. So you will set an agenda uh, together with us and we definitely have some ideas, but I think uh, a lot of what will actually happen is up to the person uh, that, that uh, will be the CEO for a year. And throughout the rest of the year, there's a structured learning program to help that CEO for a year really grow into the role of a CEO, right? And so one aspect of that is readings. It's more academic literature or things that I've learned in you know, studying business that can help you really fulfill the role of a CEO. And the second part that we are very excited about is you will have each month an interaction with a different, very established uh, business leaders. These will be people that are on the boards of big, big businesses, some of some of them are startup CEOs or CEOs in different sizes of businesses. But we think this is going to be 
a great learning opportunity and a great network uh, for people that that go through the program. So, Maria, are you seduced by this idea? <laughs> I'm sorry, Daniel. You seem like a great guy, but I I don't think it's an appealing idea. But in part because uh, my brother actually spent two years as, as an assistant winemaker in Northern California, and his wife is a certified sommelier who works for a wine distribution company. So they actually know what's beneath the veneer of what you're promising. And they are, um, it's not really compelling, especially given that you're only offering a cash stipend of maybe 300 euros a month. Um, it's it's not really clear what sort of person or someone with a financial background who would take this job would have to be either independently wealthy or maybe they made a lot of money in private equity or something and they're taking a year off. But if you're going to take a year off from private equity, you're not going to want to work as as hard as working at a vineyard demands. Um, and they know firsthand what that means. So I, I think it's, I think once you start to dig into um, some of what it actually takes. I think it sounds very romantic. And when I first heard about this, I you can ask John and Caroline. I was like, oh my God, this is a, like my brother and his wife would have loved this a few years ago and maybe they'd be interested now. And I, they wrote back LOL, basically. Like there's no way, um, you know, they, you know, they, it's it's interesting that you keep saying like you you need someone from outside of the industry and you said they're going to you're going to get mentorship from other CEOs are these other vineyard CEOs or CEOs from random businesses no yeah CEOs from established businesses but not uh, not necessarily winery CEOs and i think okay. to, your your point is a good one right so it's definitely not a program for one uh, and i recognize that and and uh, definitely, we couldn't be paying, you know, PE salaries <laughs> in in the winery business. Yeah, but three thousand dollars a year I, I is not a PE just, salary. Yeah, I, th I think it's um, more comparable the way I see it uh, uh, to a startup gig, right? So a lot of startups have uh, internships where someone that has just graduated comes on. Uh, that is true. Does not have the financial uh, remuneration that you would get in a finance role or in you know a consulting role. Uh, but in exchange also is not, you know, a small wheel in, in some big business where maybe the learning experience is a little bit different, but rather really has, uh, you know, in their 20s, let's say, really the experience of, of running a real business, right? So I think there is some value there. I think mentioning the stipend uh, is a good point, right? Because we, uh, it is a bit of a turnaround situation and we can uh, only offer uh, a, a small financial stipend, that being said. We will provide accommodation and we'll provide basically room and board, right? So there will be, you know, how a lot of startups, they offer, uh, you know, sort of free cereals or free breakfast cereals, something like that. Right. As a perk. For us, it's yeah. different. We'll take that one step farther. So it's, uh, we also run a farmer's market, right? And so we, uh, the person that will work there certainly has, uh, you know, free sort of uh, farm to table food every day. Um, yeah, but when so, you I, join... I think the point still holds, right? That it's not a job for everyone. Uh, no, and I th I think when you join a startup, you you trade that equity because you expect that the startup will eventually be worth a lot more than it is now. You join a startup because it's a very fast growing thing. A vineyard is not a fast growing business. Like it's not like someone can join the vineyard. You know, if I if I launch a software product, I can maybe ten x it in a year, and then sell that company to someone. But I can't like ten x the output of a vineyard in a year. Uh, and so I think that that. You know, and it doesn't seem like you're you're really selling any equity in the vineyard. But um, so, what is what is your your? It sounds to me like the big goal is what is what are the actual functions that you need this person to run? Do you need them to? It sounds like you need like bookkeeping and financial management, and also you said something. It said something about distribution, like expanding distribution to the U.S. 
or expanding distribution in general? Is that, those yeah. are the two main things. So yeah. I think it it sounds like it's something where you don't actually need a full-time, like you could hire like say a part-time bookkeeper or like a part-time, like a fractional CFO. Um, and then also similarly, like distribution companies, like the one my sister, she doesn't do, I don't think they do wines from Austria, but that's what distribution companies exist to do. Like they take the wine from you and then they sell it into the supermarkets and the Whole Foods and the whatever's in the US. So it's it's not, it seems like maybe, you know, if, if you're going to get someone to do this for you, it sounds like instead of saying we want someone with fresh ideas from outside the industry because it's such a unique industry and because it, there are so many regulations around it, for example, et cetera, et cetera. It sounds like you're actually better off getting like a CEO of an established vineyard to commit 10 hours a week to your vineyard, maybe. And then you do like a it, there are no profits now. So maybe you do like a profit share. It's a, yeah, it's a good. So by the way, I appreciate the the pushback, Maria, and it's definitely good for people that are making up their mind to have you know a clear picture of what it is and, and what they're in it for, right? So let me just uh, one time address the the piece you mentioned around the equity in a startup, right? So I think it's true. What if if you're thinking about this role and this program in order to get financially well remunerated, there is nothing really that we can offer, right? There is no. Uh, equity that you will have in in the winery after it. Uh, it's not you know a SaaS business or it's not something that will have a hockey stick type of growth, right? So I think uh, it's also not that we are not pitching it to VCs or anything like that, right? So in that sense, uh, the the appeal to it, and we're also not saying that anywhere, right? The appeal of it is not, hey, come on, uh, you know, even though your monthly salary will not be high, you will get a big equity compensation. No, that's not the deal. I think the motivation. And I think some people will be motivated like that. Other people may not. And that is completely fine, right? It's a niche program. Um, but I'm confident that we'll find someone to whom that following uh, value proposition does sound good, which is you won't get financially well remunerated, not because we're stingy, but just because the business doesn't allow it at the moment. But you will get an experience that you can get nowhere else in the world, I would be able to say, right? If you look out there, there's some programs that say, hey, take over business. There's, you know, if you Google, there's like a CEO for a month or a CEO for a week. Very gimmicky uh, type programs. This is not it. This is, you are taking over an established business. We are handing you the keys to the business. Frankly speaking, it's also a bit of a risk to us, right? To, to take, uh, to, to hand over a business that has been in the family for 360 years and say, run with it for a year, right? So I think... Someone out there will say, well, even though I'm not getting rich during that year, that is still an attractive learning opportunity, right? So I, I just want the framing of it uh, uh, to be right. That being said, it is a very tough job, right? And so I think the notion of, oh, is it actually a part-time job, right? <laughs> Should you just bring on someone for 10 hours? I think the opposite is true, right? There's so much to do. It's not just a little bookkeeping and, you know, speaking to one distributor and letting them do everything. It is really transitioning a family business from being run in a very, you know, in some senses, unpro unprofessionalized uh, uh, ways, right? Like a, lot, like a lot of mom and pop shops uh, out there that are just run by family, transitioning that to really a professional business, right? And so what are some of the parts that uh, that, that means, right? One of them is very tangible. Let's say we have a a uh, retail shop, so-called so a flagship store, right? That we open for one day a week in Vienna where we sell a lot of the wines, right? We've opened that shop for five decades, 
right? But we have never really uh, run it in, we've always run it to the best of our ability and right to the best of my family's ability. But basically it's winemakers, it's farmers, if you will, uh, running that store, which is definitely not a bad way to do it, but it's not uh, a professional business lens that has ever applied to it, right? So I think one of the very concrete projects will be, and you know, I'm hoping that is, that is uh, an attractive proposition to someone is, well, take one of these mom and pop shops and see what you can do with it, right? How should the store be? How should the layout be, right? How should the products be placed? How should the processes in there run? Uh, should we, uh, you know, should we accept credit cards or not? It's very hands-on things, really, right? How should uh, the product assortment even look like, right? Knowing that we sell uh, wine, knowing that we also there sell a bit farmer's market type goods, right? So vegetables, fruits, uh, you know, what kind of adjacent products should there be, right? How do we even make decisions like that? How do we decide uh, inventory and ordering quantities, right? I think it's a lot of, if, if you really look into the business, I think it's right that um, one lens, one, one, two, people might, two people might look at this same opportunity. One person might say, I hate this. I would never do it in the world because <laughs> one, I, you know, I don't get paid <laughs> basically, right? Two, I'm not in an office on Wall Street. Right? I'm not overlooking Central Park. Um, I'm not working on the next M&A deal that will land in the headlines. Right? I will never do this in the world. Why would I sit on a tractor and be in the vineyards? Totally fair. And I, a lot of these people are my personal friends right? <laughs> who will never do that. So, um, so let, me ask, totally let me ask Caroline. I, I think who, just to finish it, yeah. just one last thing to finish sure. it. I think there will also be one other person that looks at this same opportunity and says, can you believe it? This is an actual business and they're willing to let me run it. And even though usually I always have office jobs, I will be able to do very hands-on things for a year, right? And I know that after that year, my whole career won't be, I'm becoming a farmer now, but I know that the rest of my life will be very different, but I want to have an interesting life. And so I'm willing to, you know, to, to do an interesting role. So I think that's the right framing, but I totally appreciate the pushback. So let me ask Caroline, who for many years was the head of admissions at NCOD. You know, many applicants to elite MBA programs have two jobs uh, that they bring to their application. Uh, they may have been uh, uh, an analyst at a consulting firm for a while, and then they may switch to a financial job. I wonder if someone who is an under undergraduate who has two to three years of work experience and is looking for that second job and takes Daniel up on his proposition and then applies to an elite business school, is that a plus, a minus? Certainly you're a more novel candidate that gets outside the traditional buckets. Yeah, for sure. And you're right, John, that more and more we're seeing candidates getting into top schools who've done, you know, who kind of already had more than one career, right, before they go to business school. They have worked at a, a firm, um, like a McKinsey or Goldman or one of the private equity firms, and then they've gone on to do something else for a year or so before heading off to top school. Um, I mean, th this could be a great opportunity if that candidate can spin a good story about the impact that they've had during that year, right? So if they are genuinely able to make a big difference, that could be a fantastic story to tell, right? And, and a really fascinating story that will leap off the page to the file reader. Um, 
And also, you know, will it link to their future goals? If it looks like a rather random choice and doesn't necessarily link to um, the logic of what they want to do post-MBA and longer term in their career, then um, then, then it might look a bit um, look a bit odd in 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 their path. Um, my my concern with this, Daniel, is that um, you and your brother sound like the dream team, right? Your brother is a winemaker. Um, you are a McKinsey guy at HBS. It doesn't get much better than that, right? I mean, you have like the best credentials for um, turning a business around. Um, and you've grown up with this business. It's your family business. So it, it's something that, you know, you've lived and breathed from a young age. So if you guys haven't been able to figure out how to make this work, I'm very concerned about someone who knows nothing about winemaking and doesn't have the brilliance that you and your brother have, or perhaps they do, but they don't have the background that you, the relevant background that you have. So how are they going to make such such a big difference, right? If if you haven't been able to figure it out, I think such such a fair, by the way, fair characterization. I think also from the MBA admissions um, uh, perspective, and I think a very fair question, right? To sort of. And maybe a little bit what is also, um, you didn't ask this directly, but a little bit of the question might also be, well, if we're looking for one person to fill a role of a kind of an MBA type role, why don't I do it myself, right? Like why? It's, 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 you kind of mentioned it's a dream team, right? I know my brother. Mm-hmm. I know kind of the situation on the ground. Uh, I, I could be doing this actually, right? And and I thought about it, right? So um, uh, and my personal answer to that was, for me, the choice wouldn't really be, do I uh, run this for a year and then go on to other jobs? For me, the choice would actually be more, you know, do, do I make this my life? Do, do I choose the sort of winery career path? Or do I want to have a different career that's a little bit more out there in the world, a little more international? And so uh, for me, just maybe touching on that, the private motivation for myself, why don't I fully do this? Um, is because I have also different career or other uh, additional career objectives or ambitions, right? So that's uh, maybe to clarify. Uh, and, and I think it's a different kind of value proposition to do it, you know, as a career than, than to have a one-year experience and sort of take a lot of the learnings and, and go on. So that's a, a little bit of the personal story, uh, perhaps, if you will, uh, to that. Um, then the second part or the, the actual question that you asked, um, the way I understood it was like, why do I think they would succeed, right? Is that it? Yeah, well, I, do, I think that, you know, I, I totally understand that you don't necessarily want to dedicate yourself full-time to this, right? You have other ambitions. Um, that That's perfectly fine. But, you know, given your background and your experience, I would have thought that if there was a way of making this a success, without having to dedicate yourself full-time to this, you would have figured out some of the levers to make that happen. And you could you don't necessarily have to do it yourself, right? You can bring people in, as Maria said, maybe you can hire some people to make those things happen. It sounds like, you know, it, you need to figure out the strategy of the company. And I think that you have the ability to do that. So I don't know why you need to bring in somebody and, you know, what are they going to magically come up with in terms of ideas that you and your brother haven't been able to come up with? Yeah, that's very fair. Very fair point. Because no, Daniel I, doesn't I, have an, no, a, a I, real interest in this, he, wait, I don't think he supplied himself to it. Have yeah, you? but yeah, so that's a little bit what I was getting to also is, um, uh, so I think it's a fair point. I, 
personally, the first time I worked on it was last summer, right? So before that, I always had like different careers. I was at McKinsey the last two years. Before that, I always looked at, at a very different career paths, actually, right? It was at Tesla, at Google, in Lazar, sort of investment banking, and never really worked even in Vienna, actually, right? Where I could kind of be very involved with the winery or close to it, right? So I think for me, and a little bit of the family background is also, I'm born in 1992, right? I'm 30 years old now. My siblings are all born between 1970 and 1975, much, much older. And so it was always much, much more in their hands. I personally was actually never really involved uh, from that perspective beyond, you know, uh, on a Friday selling wine in the stores and, and a lot of these hands-on things. But from, from what you were mentioning about transitioning the business, professionalizing it, I've never had an extended period of time where, where I did that until last summer, right? Last summer, we really... For the first time, created a bit of a branding, created an, a sort of a, an online presence, rather website, uh, which people can uh, check out uh, and is linked in the Pots and Quants article. So we are in the process of, of, of doing that as well. I think, do they magically, you kind of said, do, you know, which ideas should they magically come up with that we haven't had yet? I think, honestly, it's a bit less about that. We, we have a lot of the ideas that, uh, that could put the business to the next stage. I think there will be some ideas, so, some new ideas coming in. But even if someone says, hey, actually, you know, I don't, even after 100 days, if someone would say, actually, I don't really know what to do with this, right? Then I think we can come up with a lot of things that need to be done. You know, one of the, one of them I mentioned is sort of, you know, very uh, tangible about, about retail locations. One of them is around uh, exporting, which we've never done before, right? And might sound easy as Maria Portage is finding a distributor, but I think there's maybe more to it. And so I think it's a combination of having the right talent and really having boots on the ground and you know, sort of um, a lot of drive to also implement these things. So it's a unique perspective and a novel opportunity for sure. Someone is going to do this. is not going to do it for the money. They're going to do it for the experience. It's going to involve hard work. It's not a simple thing. I'm assuming beyond, beyond the uh, stipend for living expenses and the room and board, they'll get to drink a lot of wine, I would hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the end of a long day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Daniel, I mean, how good? Like, if, 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 if you run a winery for a year, I would expect you to be a wine expert <laughs> at the end of it, for sure. <laughs> or an Can alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one, one thing Daniel said, there is a side benefit to this. <laughs> If you go get your MBA later on, or if you already had your MBA and you're sitting at that partner's meeting or with a client at dinner and you get to order the wine, you have one hell of an anecdote to tell. <laughs> Daniel, can you tell us a bit about the wine itself? How, how good is the wine and, and what sort of wine is it? Yeah, for sure. So it's uh, for the wine lovers out there. Uh, the grape that we are most well known for is Grüner Veltliner. Right, it's a white wine grape. It's Austria's main wine grape. And actually, um, uh, since I came to the US one and a half years ago to start my MBA, I was positively surprised by how on vogue it is, at least here in the Boston area and the East Coast. Uh, I've actually seen this quite a lot. Um, and and for the ones who maybe have never tried it, it's a, a sort of dry white wine, typically a bit comparable to the Sauvignon Blanc. Right. So I think. Um, one one angle that people pitch it as is it's the new you know if you if you love Sauvignon Blanc you will really love Grüner uh, Veltliner and and that's where we have always uh, done best in and specialized in right so uh, actually uh, since twenty years ago the slogan if you will for our winery was always home of Grüner Veltliner right so it was centered around that one grape 
that's where we've won our biggest awards. Uh, and that's, I think, where really the quality uh, that we have and the potential that we have, uh, I would say, is world-class in, in this grape, right? Um, we also grow a lot of other grapes, like a lot of small wineries. We actually have 20 different grapes that are planted in our vineyard. And you can imagine that a little bit, you know, if it grows throughout the generations, winemakers inherently are creative people, right? And they always want to try the next new thing. And so we also make red wine and, and a lot of different variations. Uh, but I think the, the, the focus and also for the next year, clearly the, uh, where a lot of our energy will go to is, is the Grüner Retina uh, white mm. wine. Well, that will certainly help you if it's becoming fashionable. There's a trendy thing in Boston, so you can continue to spread the word. When I was in INSEAD, um, I did a, an elective on marketing, and my topic that I chose for my project was champagne pricing, which was a lot of fun. Oh. Um, and, and we did, I remember we did a blind tasting, and uh, I can remember the, the French students were devastated to, to discover that they actually preferred the New Zealand sparkling wine to some of the finest oh. French champagne. <laughs> Sacre bleu. Yes. Oh, my. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so There's... branding is so important, isn't it, in, in, in wine? And that's, um, you know, I think that has a huge impact on how people even perceive the taste, right? Um, it's that quite difficult. Be... Sorry, okay, did that happen to be with Hilke Passmann? The project? No, an... no, it wasn't. It was uh, Marcus Christensen. Oh, wow. Because she's an expert yeah. at, at INSEAD for, for on sort of wine marketing pricing. Yeah. 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 So, so um, I think uh, I would imagine the, the, the whole branding aspect is, is a big challenge. And that's very difficult as a small business. But if, you know, there's a larger movement around the kind of grape that you're growing and, and, and building that reputation. That's something that you may be able to, to leverage. Hopefully. Yeah. And I think um, for me also, why I mentioned the, the sort of branding effort last summer is it's the, the way I viewed it is um, our wine and our family has, was always focused on the wine quality itself. And right, which I think even when people talk about their wine branding is important, I think the quality just needs to be there, right? It's one of these things you, you can't fake it necessarily. Uh, you need to have a good product itself. But it is true that I think that's true for us. And frankly, it's true for a lot of small businesses, especially small wineries. There's not an, any focus actually on, on branding, right? So it's the first time that we've really worked on any label, right? And the reason for that was if you sell the wine at your own store, like we've always done, and basically to people that know me, that know one of my siblings, that know one of my parents, the wine never had to speak for itself on, you know, in the shelf of a wine store or, or you know, of a restaurant, in a restaurant. And so you can get around of it as long as you stay at that level. I think if you want to, you know, if you're ambitious and want to maybe go to the next level, maybe you want to change some things and communicate your story, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. there is an application process that you've devised where people are being asked to write a cover letter, a motivational letter on uh, why they would want to do this. Uh, and then uh, you will uh, basically narrow down some finalists and begin uh, interviews with them on Zoom, right? Uh, that is right. Yeah. And I should actually say a word of thanks uh, also to you, John. So since the article came out uh, just a few days ago, uh, we have had more than 200 people reach out to us uh, about <laughs> this job, which is, you know, smashed all my expectations. I think, you know, by the time we wrote or you wrote the article, um, we talked about a couple dozen, maybe, which was already a, a lofty goal, I thought. But by now, we have uh, actually 
80 people that signed up for our Q&A so in a couple of days and 50 people that already applied, uh, which is um, oh. you know, amazing uh, to see for me. And, and that is before we've even started to really, a lot of these applications will end up being for the English speaking role, uh, which is the chief of staff role, right? English speaking. And uh, we are now also starting to a little bit uh, uh, advertise the program or try to interest some people in the German speaking in Germany, uh, Austria, Switzerland, for it. And so we expect more applications to come in uh, from there as well. Uh, but so the, the actual application process will be uh, yeah, definitely an, an interview with myself, with my brother. And then for the people who are chief of staff, they'll also have a touch point with the actual uh, person that is chosen as the CEO for a year as part of the interview process. So if you want to actually pursue this, uh, you can go to a website that Daniel has created. I believe it's called CEOforayear.com. That's it. There it is. Want to look at the wine uh, in the uh, winery. Schmidt Family uh, Winery is the name of the winery, and they have a website as well. There are links in both for both those places in the Poets and Quant story on Daniel and his idea. Caroline and Maria, last words? Well, I was just going to say that, um, Daniel, I see yeah, the article's had about 40,000 views, and I'm sure John would be delighted to receive a case of your fine wine in, in, <laughs> in compensation for the free advertising. <laughs> well, well, if I do, I will share it with my co-hosts for sure. And nice. I want you to know that only a few months ago, I went to a wine dinner that featured Austrian wines. And I had the pleasure of tasting this varietal. And I have to say, it was splendid. Happy to hear that. Yeah, and we'll make, we make this case work. And, and I, I just want to also, uh, you know, say, say thanks one more time to, you know, John, you and also Caroline and Maria. Uh, thanks for asking also tough questions. I would encourage everyone that is interested in the program uh, to check out the website that John mentioned. It is CEOforayear.com. And there is a link to sign up for a Q&A. Our next Q&A is on the 28th of February. And I would encourage everyone to show up there and, and ask the tough questions, especially uh, because before it, it is a novel, novel program, right? It, there's no sort of uh, other people to ask that have already gone through it. So I would encourage you to just ask tough questions there. Uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, yeah, hearing from you and, and uh, hopefully talking to you in the interviews. Well, good, good luck with that. And when you finally choose someone who is going to actually be CEO for a year, uh, let us know. We'd love to do a story on what this person intends to do and what their motivations are. It could be a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll do that. Caroline Maria, as always, thank you. Daniel, thank you. This is John Byrne with Ports and Quant. You've been listening to Business Casual, our weekly podcast. Mm-hmm.